Welcome back to the Yellow Box Podcast. This week, we're joined by community pastor Ian Simpkins as we begin a brand new series, The Invitation. For more information, please visit us at www.communitychristian.org. And remember, you can always find us on Sundays at the Yellow Box, 9.30 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 5 p.m. We hope to see you there. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the tropical paradise known as Naperville. Um, the first service, you should have seen as everyone was leaving, everyone's gl- glasses were fogging up immediately. It was hysterical. Um, I want to recount a story, and I want to see if anybody here can relate to this. It was a, a couple of weeks ago, and it was like the end of the day on a, on a Tuesday, and some of you were like, do you work on Tuesdays? I thought you only worked on Sundays. The answer is uh, sometimes, yeah. Um, so it was the end of the day, and I remember that I, I had to pick something up at Target, which is already problematic because you can't leave Target with, you know, without buying 16 other things that you don't need. But I kind of made a mental note, okay, on my way home, I got to stop by Target, pick up what I need. And uh, so I was caught on 59 for a while. Anyone ever driven on 59 during rush hour? That'll make you think crazy thoughts. Like it is it's so brutal. So I'm just like just inching along in traffic and then my, uh, my low gas light comes on. So I'm like, great, awesome. So I pull off into a gas station and I'm pumping gas and right at the pump next to me is somebody from the yellow box. And it was, it was awesome. Thankfully they didn't like see me cursing a minute ago. Um, but it was like such a lovely, unexpected surprise. So we're chatting and he actually told me like a bit of his story and it was a really, it was a really cool interaction. So I, I finally make it to Target and I park my car and uh, I get one of those big clunky red carts and I have to try to make it past that clearance section at the very front, which is brilliant but diabolical, right? It's like right there, just full of stuff that you don't need. And then I have this moment, right? So I have my cart uh, and I wheel to the very center aisle and then I, I stop for a moment and I, I like look up to the ceiling and I wonder to myself, why am I here? <laughs> okay, show of hands, how many of you have had that experience before, right? Like so many other things happen, you're standing in the middle of the store and you're wondering, why am I here? Why did I come here at all? And I don't know how bad yours is, but like I'll often forget between the distance between the couch and the refrigerator, right? <laughs> you're like, man, I could really open it and you're like, no idea. No clue. Like, I can't, I need to only live in a ranch house because anytime I climb, like, a flight of stairs, it's just instant, like, men in black erased. Like, it's all just gone entirely. And my guess is that maybe a lot of us have had experiences like this where, where we can forget why we went somewhere to do a particular thing. But I also would guess, though, that that sometimes happens with Sunday morning. Whether you've been coming to church for a long time or maybe this is your first experience, it's, it's easy to forget why we're actually here. What is the actual point of gathering together week in and week out? And so I want to answer with crystal clarity, first and foremost, for us, when answering the question, why am I here? The answer is to help people find their way back to God, period. Everything that we do points toward that mission. Every dollar spent, every ministry developed, everything points towards helping people find their way back to God. If someone proposes a new idea, We'll ask, does that help people find their way back to God? And if the answer is no, we don't do it. Everything we do points toward that mission. That's what makes our heart beat fast around here. So that's why we're entering into this new series that John mentioned called The Invitation. It's going to be a three-week series leading up to a really big day around here called Show Up Sunday. It's September 16th, and this is like our our all-out effort to reach our community, to reach our friends and family. We're going to put our very best foot forward for people to have an amazing experience here. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to look at the examples of Jesus 
in the ways that he invited people. We, we want to see if there's anything that we can learn from the way that Jesus loved and lived and served and invited others that we can then apply in our own lives. So for today, the story begins in John chapter 4. If you're following along, you can turn there now. John chapter 4, and here's the scene. Uh, Jesus has been traveling with his disciples for quite some time, and they're traveling from Jerusalem back to Galilee where they live. And there's this interesting interaction where Jesus like sends the disciples on ahead to go get some food, and he sort of parks it at this well at high noon, which seems a bit peculiar, right? Like he sends them out to go get food, and he says, uh, don't worry about me, I'm just going to sit here baking in the sun at this well in the middle of the desert. But has anyone ever been on a long road trip before with people really close to you? <laughs> you see where this is going. Has anyone ever felt like, just go anywhere but where I'm at right now? Just be, he's like, I'd rather sit and bake at this well right now in the middle of the desert. So he sends the disciples to go get food, and he's sitting at this well, and as Jesus sits at this well, a Samaritan woman approaches him. So there's a lot going on here because remember, it's, it's high noon, and this may seem obvious, but people often in this culture would not travel outside their homes during high noon at all because it was dangerously hot. Now, the text also says that this woman was alone, which again, at first blush, doesn't seem all that significant. But in this culture, women never went to the well alone, ever. They never went at noon, and they never went alone. So this Samaritan woman is at the well at noon and alone, which probably means one of two things. Either one, she's an outcast. She's got some kind of reputation in the village that has sort of put her on the outskirts, on the outside, on the fringes. Or she doesn't want to interact with anybody. She's either an outcast or she's looking to avoid eye contact at all costs. And yet, here... She encounters the Messiah. She encounters Jesus. And so here's what happens in John chapter 4. Jesus said to her, the woman, will, will you give me a drink? And the Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with the Samaritans. So again, there, there are a couple of things going on here. Um, Jesus had every reason to not interact with this woman because Jews didn't interact with Samaritans first and foremost, but men most certainly didn't interact in public with women. So for Jesus being a man, her being a woman, Jesus being a Jew and her being a Samaritan, he had every reason not to interact with her at all, to overlook her entirely. And the tension between Jews and Samaritans was severe. Like, it wasn't just like a, a feud or like a... T it was like, like Katy Perry, Taylor Swift kind of tension. Like, it was, <laughs> it was intense. But I thought it actually would be helpful for us in understanding this tension because it isn't just like a broken friendship. It was like a deep, abiding hatred for one another. And what's fascinating is that there have been historians throughout the centuries who have recorded just how deep this hatred went. Here's a couple of examples. Uh, so Mishnah Shibbeth says that he that eats the bread of Samaritans is like to one that eats the flesh of swine. Oof. That's a harsh comeback, right? Can you imagine getting like in a Facebook argument? You're like, yeah, you eat the flesh of swine, right? That just, that's not just like I don't like you and your haircut. It's like, no, there's, there's something just absolutely awful about you. This, uh, this next one, Josephus says the Samaritans scattered human bones in the temple court. Okay, so not to be irreverent, but I want you to actually picture that, right? Can you imagine 
just like a gang of people running in here in the middle of a Sunday with like bags of human bones and just like scattering them and then running out. It would be really distracting first off, right? But in this culture, that would be, that'd be way worse than getting punked by Ashton Kutcher. That would be so insulting, so defiling. They would literally prank their holy spaces by scattering bones everywhere. This next one offers a unique light. Osterley said the Samaritans were publicly cursed in the synagogues, which was their temple, their holy space. A petition was daily offered up praying to God that the Samaritans might not be partakers of eternal life. Okay, so picture that, right? Imagine it's here at the yellow box. We sing some songs up at the top, and then John Hughes comes up, and we have a host moment, and then John says, now before we have Ian come up, we'd like everyone to stand, and we're going to publicly curse a certain people group, and we're going to pray fervently that they don't get into heaven. That was sort of the, that was the tension, that was the depths of the hatred between these two people groups. Now, this last one is my, uh, is my favorite, and it, it needs a little clarifying. So Shechem was a uh, kind of a central city in Samaria that was involved predominantly with a lot of the religious activity uh, of the Samaritan area, and here's what it says. Ben Sirah says, there are two nations that my soul detests. The third is not a nation at all. The inhabitants of Mount Seir, the Philistines, and the stupid people living at Shechem. Right, you thought like Facebook feuds were like a new thing. This has been going on for a long time. The stupid people living at Shechem. So, so, so keep in mind, this interaction between Jesus and the Samaritan woman isn't just like, a, oh, Jesus is interacting with a friend, but there was like a rift a few years ago. He has every reason to overlook her, to not engage with her at all. In fact, uh, here in, um, in John chapter 4, it says, For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Um, a better translation could be that Jews did not use the vessels of Samaritans. It went so deep that they wouldn't even share flatware if it came down to it. That's how much they wanted to distance themselves from the Samaritans. But what does Jesus do here? He asks her for a drink, which is what? He's asking to use her vessel. He's asking her for a drink. And so when she questions him, when she's understandably surprised, then Jesus uses this beautiful water metaphor in verse 10. It says, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? So again, she's understandably confused. She's talking about living water, but this guy doesn't have a bucket or a pail. She's like, how would you draw this water? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So she's intrigued, right? She's hooked. Jesus is saying, I have access to a water that you won't ever thirst again. And she's like, tell me, I'm sick of coming to this well. That sounds amazing. And I thought about that this week. We, we all have experienced what it means to like thirst, like metaphorically, right? To thirst for something, to, to feel like we would do anything to satisfy that thirst. And I don't know what it is for you, but like maybe for you, the, the well that you keep going to is accumulation. 
Like you just buy and buy and buy. As long as, if I can just get enough things, maybe that will numb the pain. Maybe that'll fill the hole in my heart. Maybe for you it's career success. The well that you keep going to is that if I can climb this ladder high enough, then eventually I'll feel complete. I'll feel full. I'll feel known. I'll feel loved. I'll feel accomplished. Maybe, maybe for you it's entertainment. Maybe the first thing you do when you get home just because you feel so beat up at the end of the day is I just need, I just need those thoughts to go away. I need a distraction and we consume entertainment. Whatever that well is, what is that well? that you keep going back to over and over and over again in the hopes that it will satisfy. If you've done that for any length of time, my guess is many of us know this experience, that things will boast to accomplish what they never actually can. And when we put the weight and expectation of God on anything other than God, that thing, that person, will eventually crumble beneath the weight. So Jesus is saying, you keep drinking from this well, you're gonna keep getting thirsty. It's going to keep happening, but if you take what I have to offer you, that's a game changer, and you'll never thirst again. He extends this invitation to this woman, and I love what happens next in verse 16. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband, And what you have just said is quite true. So the well this woman had been going to was the well of romantic relationships, right? Five husband and the man that she's with now isn't even her husband. She has been pursuing romance over and over and over again, I assume, in the pursuit of finding some sort of meaning in life. And so my my guess here, my guess for the reason that she's alone at this well, is because she feels unlovable. She feels unworthy. Has anyone ever felt that way before in your life? She's feeling at the bottom of the rung, her life unraveled. I just can't seem to get this thing right. And here's what I love about Jesus. He's, he's not surprised by any of that, is he? He knows her past. He knows her story. He knows all the twists and turns. And he doesn't like skirt away. He goes after her. He pursues her. And he invites her to stop drawing from those same empty wells. Knowing everything about her, maybe even parts that she'd never even spoken out loud, that does not keep him from extending the invitation. And it got me thinking, who are the people that we tend to write off when it comes to this invitation? We, we all have them, right? Like we know the beauty and value of a community, of a church home, of a family that we can walk alongside with, that we can do life together. Who, who are the people, though, that you've sort of written off? Maybe when you think of this person, you think, now nah, they're, they're way too far gone, right? They watch shows like Cupcake Wars and other things like that. It's, there's, no, there's no way. Maybe they just don't seem interested. They've never expressed any interest. Maybe, honestly, when you think about this person, you think, they seem just fine without Jesus. I don't want to really bother them with an invitation. Jesus never writes anyone off, ever. Now, there's this, uh, this great book called The Power of Habit. Uh, and in this book, the author talks about how our lives are made up predominantly of the habits we have. And it's a really fascinating read. It talks about the things that we do often um, unknowingly. And he says, if we want to change our habits, we have to change the cues that we pay attention to. So for us, one of the habits that we want to be central to our life is helping people find their way back to God. 
We don't, we don't want it to just be like a once a year thing. We want to be in the habit of seeing with God's eyes, of always extending grace and mercy and beauty and truth wherever we're at. So this author says you need to change the cues. You need to pay attention to different cues. These are, these are moments in people's lives that we can learn to pay attention to. And so I want to walk briefly through four cues that we can pay attention to when it comes to living and serving and loving like Jesus. And if you're a note taker, I want to encourage you to write these down or you can take a picture of the screen at the very end. So the first cue is this, something is changing. Something is changing. People facing a new circumstance, a new season of life. They could be empty nesters. They could be getting married for the first time. They could be kids becoming teenagers. They could be just new in town. They could be becoming new parents. I, we just had a, a, our first child about 10 months ago, and I cannot tell you what a difference this community made in our family. I mean, for months, like clockwork, every night, somebody was bringing a meal to our house. And I remember a couple weeks ago, uh, I was thinking about that story with my wife, and I remember thinking, how do people do this without the love of family, without the love of community? I, I've experienced firsthand that like having a church home has been instrumental when things in my life were changing, when I wasn't prepared for what was happening in my life. The second cue is that something is breaking. Something is breaking. Obviously, we never hope this for people, but the reality is that there are plenty of people whose lives are just falling apart. It could be health-related. It could be finance-related. It could be marriage-related. Maybe it's anxiety, maybe it's kids. In some cases, those are the same thing, right? Whatever it is, something's unraveling, something's breaking. When we, when we see that in people, that should be a cue for us to extend an invitation. Like, man, that person's really having a tough time. I'm gonna invite them to be a part of the community that has meant so much to me. The third cue is that something is missing. Something is missing. It could be a coworker expressing dissatisfaction with their life, with their career, it could be a neighbor who's mentioned to you, I really wish that I had more friends. It could be a family member that has mentioned they just don't feel fulfilled in life. Honestly, sometimes it's as simple as someone expressing, I just don't have a church home. Like friends, that's, that's low-hanging fruit, okay? When someone says, I don't have a church home, our answer shouldn't be like, cool, best of luck with that, and then walk away. <laughs> and I want to I pause briefly and say something, because I think it's important, because... Th- the assumption sometimes is because I'm a pastor, like this probably just comes really naturally to me. It doesn't. Like I get really self-conscious. I overthink what I'm going to say. So, I mean, it's not always a very popular profession to have. Like if you, wanna, if you want someone to not talk to you on an airline, just tell them you're a pastor. That'll shut it all down. <laughs> Works like a charm. I know that this is way easier said than done. But a lot of times it just begins with opening our mouths. It doesn't have to be pretty. It just has to be sincere, right? And I've noticed that you've mentioned that you really haven't felt fulfilled, that you're looking for a community or that you don't really know where you're going in life. Man, I have this church family that has meant so much to me. I would love for you to be a part of that. I'd love for you to experience what I've I've experienced. The fourth cue is that something is stirring. Something is stirring. Those first three have to do with like external observations, right? But sometimes God will stir in our hearts and point us to a person that we maybe have made no observations about beforehand. I believe that the same God of the Bible still is moving and redeeming and restoring and nudging and poking and prodding today. Sometimes it'll be a stranger at a coffee shop. It'll be someone you haven't thought about in years. I believe the Holy Spirit will stir in us as we're obedient to his leading to say, all right, God, I haven't talked to that person in a long time, but I believe that you've laid them on my heart for a reason. The Holy Spirit will move us. Now, I know 
that plenty of us have hesitated because we just don't believe that someone would respond well, right? We hesitate because we don't want to look silly. We don't, right? We don't want to be embarrassed. Well, there was a, a study done a few years ago about unchurched people's responses to invitations, and here's what they found. 51% of unchurched people said a personal invitation from a friend or neighbor would be effective in getting them to visit. 55% of unchurched people said a personal invitation from a family member would be effective in getting them to visit. More than half, more than half of the people in your life, at the very least, would say, yeah, yeah, I try that out. I give that a shot. Do you know what the percentages are for being asked by a pastor? It's like negative 15%. Like... <laughs> People leave church for some reason. Like, it's, like more than Facebook campaigns, more than postcards, more than, more than any other method. A human asking another human, you know, this place, this community has been really meaningful to me and I care about you. I would love for you to experience it with me. Yeah, we don't have it all perfectly figured out. We haven't crossed every T and dotted every I. I just think it would be so meaningful for you. It doesn't have to be pretty. It just has to be sincere. And when we do that, we just might get the joy of seeing God do something miraculous in the lives of people around us. And that's exactly what happened to my friend Tracy. Take a look. My name is Tracy Wappas. My husband Andrew and I have three children and we've been attending community for three years. When I first got to know Karen, it was more so when walking the dogs, uh, you know, just casual, neighborly talk. Anytime she would see me outside playing with the kids, she would stop by and we would talk. I heard about community through my neighbors, uh, Tracy and Andrew. I've been involved in several conversations about their church um, with their children and with Tracy and Andrew both. There's been a few times that I know community has challenged us to write down five names and be praying for those people. And Karen was one of those. When I first wrote her name, I wasn't that close to her. But as a result of praying for her daily, I felt like I started to know her better. I learned about the Downers Grove launch through Tracy and Andrew, and they had a get-together at their house. They had a cookout, invited people over in the neighborhood, and, you know, of course, they had their sign in their yard and were talking about church. I did put it in my calendar, and I wrote down, you know, when it was going to be, and I, I was really looking forward to that. All the churches I've been to all my life, I never really connected. When I left, I always had, like, a list of things where it was like, here's the reasons why I don't really want to go back, and there's not too many that I want to go back for. But when I said yes to Tracy and Andrew, I was excited because, you know, they're excited, and I, I thought, you know, I really like them, and I'm, I'm very much like them, so can't be all bad. So I went, and it wasn't bad at all, and that list shifted. There were many more reasons why I wanted to go back versus not really wanting to. As I grew to know Karen, she went through a really rough time uh, with her dad's passing. She knew Andrew and I were consistently praying for her and her family as they were going through this. When my father passed away, I, I didn't feel that um, I had the energy to lift other people up. You know, I was trying to keep myself up, but I kept getting drawn back into tying in my, my father and with Tracy and Andrew's help and you know I would come over here at night and I would talk to them and process things and pray and even though there's always going to be sorrow in my heart and uh, I'm always going to miss my dad but I know that uh, God is with me and he's going to pick me up and things are going to be okay and uh, there's a reason why I have wonderful friends in my life and there's 
a reason why I um, learned of the church and why I go there. And sometimes it's okay to reach out to people for help. One of the things I'm looking forward to in my spiritual journey uh, next is baptism. So I'm very excited to have this celebration and uh, go to church and, and just have people that I love around me and be able to support me through that and be excited with me. I am ecstatic. I cannot wait to dunk her. <laughs> I never would have expected that that would happen like this. Even more so for her friends and family to experience it with her and just seeing how her life is transforming right before us. Yeah. Yeah, I love that story so much. What what we didn't know when we filmed that was that Karen will be baptized today. <laughs> and if you're free tonight, I can't encourage you enough, head to Downers. The service starts at 4.30 tonight and celebrate with her and her family as she takes this next step in her faith. And did you hear what Tracy said? When I wrote down that name, I didn't even know her that well. And yet look at what God is doing in and through her life. When you came in this morning, you were handed this little packet. I want to encourage you to take that packet out right now. Inside it are five cards that you can use to invite, right? If you don't have the words to say, just hand it to them. Say, I love you. Would you come? <laughs> and this card here also has a spot for five names. My guess is that some of you, names have already come to mind. Maybe not all of us, but my guess is that some of you have thought, yeah, this, that's the person. That's the one. I want to challenge you these next couple of weeks to fill this fully out. Write down five names. Actually pray that God would lead you to five names. Because ultimately, we don't change lives. God does. We can't redeem and restore broken hearts. But God most certainly can. What, what if we began with the posture of saying, God, who are the five that you're leading me toward, that you want me to invest in, that you want me to pray for, that you want me to invite, even if awkwardly, God, give me the courage to open my mouth when I'm feeling skittish, when I'm feeling trepidatious, when I'm feeling scared. Give me the confidence, God, that you have gone before me, that you didn't lead these names to me by accident. Because come September 16th, we're going to have an experience particularly designed for our guests to feel so seen and known and welcomed. And I have no doubt that that will be the beginning of many, many people finding their way back to God. We get to be a part of that. Now, Jesus had every reason to overlook the Samaritan woman. He had every reason to keep, it, keep his distance, but he didn't. And I love what happens in verse 28. It says, then leaving her water jar, she's so excited, she left her jar. The woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of their town and made their way toward him. Jesus, who could have overlooked her, looked her in the eye and said, You are known. You are loved. You don't have to keep pulling from these wells anymore. I am the well of living water. And her response was so immediate. I love it. This woman who earlier in that day was trying to avoid people at all costs runs into town and says, you have to come and see this. You have to come and experience this. 
she hadn't gone to seminary. She didn't join a small group. She didn't have all of her doctrinal questions asked. But she encountered the Messiah and said, you got to come see this. And I believe that people left their homes, left their villages, encountered Jesus, and their lives were never the same. That's the power of the gospel. Friends, Jesus had every reason to overlook us. Every single one of us. We all have fallen way short. Jesus knows every bit of our story, the parts we brag about and the parts that we keep very, very secret. He's seen it all. And yet he extends an invitation over and over and over again. I am the well of living water and now it's our turn. God has been patient with us. He pursues us and loves us when we could never earn and deserve it. And now it's our turn to step out in faith, to open our mouths and extend that invitation. Let's pray. God, thank you that you love us well beyond what we could ever dream of, what we could ever imagine or deserve. God, thank you that you are the God not only of second chances, but third and fourth and fifth and sixth. That you never give up on us. That you never leave us. You never forsake us. God, remind us why we're here. To help people, all people, find their way back to God. Whatever walls, whatever barriers we got to work past, whatever insecurities, God, would you breathe life and confidence and courage into us? Not because of who we are, but because of who you are and who you say we are. God, help us to take one step forward to open our mouths, to extend an invitation that I believe, God, will change lives. Thank you, God, for allowing us in any way to be a part of your mission of helping people find their way back to you. And we pray all of this in the beautiful healing name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen.